FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 344 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked! I'm your host, Jason Pitstain Potpourri Venable, and it's time for a flashback episode, the Muir Island Saga, which goes between Uncanny X-Men and X-Factor. Um, I remember this being a big deal when I was a kid. We will see how it holds up. I'm actually really curious um, to see kind of what I think about it this time around. Um, Before we get into the comics and the Muir Island saga um, and the big return of a a big villain, a little bit of house cleaning. I know uh, in the last episode or a couple episodes ago I promised that Denise would make her triumphant return on this episode and she really wanted to. Um, unfortunately, some uh, kind of work emergencies have. Uh, I'm gonna keep her off the microphone, but um, I promise I will, will keep looking for ways to get her back on soon. Cause I know we all all miss having her on the show, so um, we will we will try to remedy that. Um, yeah, so Muir Island Saga, you know. Well, I'll save some of that towards the end. So yeah, so this is going to cover Uncanny X-Men 278 through 280 and X-Factor 69 and 70. And it's kind of the last story, the end of an era. Um, You know, when uh, Dan and Georgie were on, talked about how Extinction Agenda kind of seemed to like really kick into 90s X-Men, like officially. As far as tone and type of story and crossover and all that, um, this is kind of another kind of step in that direction, um, and kind of signifies is really kind of a, a pivot point for for all the X books into kind of what you think of when you think of the X titles in the early '90s. Um, so it's definitely kind of an interesting kind of historical context for this story. It is the return of a of a big time villain, and uh, you know, kind of um, definitely big changes in status. You know, as we'll kind of get to that as we go through the story. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll just kind of jump right in. Um, Uncanny X Men two seventy eight is part one of the Muir Island saga. Um, this is written by Chris Claremont. With pencils by Paul Smith, inks by Hilary Barda, colors by Joe Rosas, letters by Tom Orjakowski. Um, the cover is also by Paul Smith, and you know it's a pretty cool cover. Um, it has, uh, I guess at this point, just Guido. He'll eventually be a strong guy. I think he's just Guido. Um, he's an orange pants and a ripped up yellow shirt and he's trying to to wrestle with Rogue in some sort of arena um and it's a pretty cool cover pretty good cover definitely kind of has some dynamic action 
you know, I, I want to point out that his left arm is kind of bent at the elbow and, and going into the upper left corner of the cover. Um, I'm kind of actually just now noticing something as I'm looking at all the covers right next to each other. So we'll kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll remember that kind of body placement um, as we get in into the story. Um, so, you know, at its most basic, uh, we have the Shadow King in a big soliloquy that unfortunately still hits too close to home. Um, because he relays kind of how crappy humans can be, um, and then monologues on his plan to break the X-Men. Uh, meanwhile, Professor X steals the Blackbird back from its caliber. Unsure of where the X-Men are, Rogue goes to Mirror Island, where she ends up having to fight Guido in the arena for uh, evil Moira reasons. Um, the X-Men regroup at Excalibur's lighthouse when nobody's home, so the prof wants to look for X-Factor, presumed dead, um, and check uh, Banshee's suspicions on your island, so the X-Men are going to split up. Uh, Shadow King seduces Rogue in the shower, because that's not creepy as shit, um, and Professor X heads for New York while the X-Men attempt to infiltrate Muir Island. Uh, Legion takes out Storm. Banshee gets sucker punched by his daughter. Gambit is trapped by multiple men. Wolverine and Jubilee bump into Rogue and Amanda Sefton. And then back in New York, Professor X is ambushed by Colossus. And Shadow King reveals his astral form and mental control of the heroes. So, yeah, this whole opening little kind of speech um, is about how much, how capable humans are of of hatred and judgment and it was just kind of depressing thinking. You know, every time you, you think, yeah, we're making progress and stuff, and then you read something like this that was written, oh gosh, 91 would have been... Do, 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 do. Uh, like almost 30 years ago. I mean, 27, 28 years ago. Um, and it feels so familiar still that it's just kind of depressing and sad. Um, just the, the violence spawned by hatred. And of course, the Shadow King, being pure villain, eats all that up. Um, so this astral form is kind of like a big lizard monster, <laughs> so that's kind of interesting, uh, and a dark robe, uh, very kind of almost like Conan bad guy design, uh, Conan the Barbarian, um, so it's interesting, um, but like I said, a little, a little too close to home these days, um, and therefore a little, a little depressing. But um, the scene where Xavier, so he's kind of in some kind of like Shi'ar battle suit as he breaks into like this British military installation like hangar uh, to steal the Blackbird. And, you know, they understand that someone must have done something pretty significant because the Blackbird can't start without like certain controls. And obviously Xavier, you know, being a long time founder of the X-Men uh, is recognized by the, by the plane. 
Um, there's a really cool scene where it kind of goes VTOL and lifts up through the clouds and the clouds kind of drape off of the bottom of the plane. It's a really nice panel by Mr. Smith. Um, yeah, so Moira is kind of established almost like this post-apocalyptic, uh, Hunger Games, Battle World, whatever, you know, where she's making a, instead of the danger room, like, people trained by getting in the, this pit in front of an audience and just beating the crap out of each other. Um, and I thought Moira, you know, I really, all this time, <laughs> was thinking that her behavior, change in behavior was due to malice. But apparently it's all, this is all Shadow King related. He's kind of tainted all the people, all the inhabitants of Muir Island, and kind of make, makes them give in to their darker more violent urges and you know as Rogue beats the crap out of Guido she just kind of becomes to relish it more and, and has a kind of a moment of hesitation like I, whoa I really like maybe went too far there what's wrong with me but then of course by the time she takes a shower and and gets very creepily like the Shadow King like kind of comes out of the mirror in his astral form and like makes out with Rogue in the shot is it's weird. Um something that you definitely see in the nineties, I guess. Um of course the X Men are back on Earth. Um so that's you know cool with, with Professor X. He's come back to to find his original students, hopefully save the X Men, all that good stuff. Um it was a really cool scene when Jubilee and Wolverine jump out of the Blackbird with a parachute, and Jubilee's like, this is fantastic, wowie zowie, um, just, just a lot of fun, um, you know, uh, other than that, not a lot of chance for Wolverine, Jubilee, or Gambit to shine, um, I will say, Gambit, re or Claremont really has Gambit lean into his French speak in this issue he's always had I mean he's had a little bit of it the whole time but he really kind of just exponentially increases his use of French words and his phrases um so definitely really leans into that that French part of his Cajun heritage um but yeah um I don't really know if I have a whole lot else to say about this first issue um I'm a big Paul Smith fan this art's pretty good not his best. Some of it, I think, is the color work. Um, I don't know. It just there's there's a look to it that's not as appealing as you would expect from like maybe classic Paul Smith with Glennis all over colors. Um, it's it's not bad at all, but not really maybe of the standards I I tend to hold Paul Smith to. Um, you know, and it is a guest spot, right? I mean, he's filling in, and so who knows what the timeline he had to do it was, whatnot. But, um, yeah, I think, um, the story's pretty good. Uh, the Shadow King coming back and wrecking havoc and all that stuff. Um, I think with the art, I would probably give this issue four out of six overall. Um, you know, if it was still. Jim Lee draw in this book um, it can probably be more in the five category but um, or or you know classic Paul Smith and you get some taste of it like I said the Blackbird panels are pretty cool um, there's some other panels that are pretty nice as well but uh, I think overall 
a strong opening chapter that maybe could have had a little bit stronger visualization and all that to lead into a 4 out of 6 clause for Uncanny 278. So next we have Uncanny 279. Um, this is written by Chris Claremont and Fabian Nicieza. Uh, guest penciler Andy Kubert with inks by Scott Williams. Um, team Appendix does the letters. Glenn is all over back on the colors. Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Our cover is by Andy Kubert and Scott Williams. And we have Colossus, like with some golden light reflecting off of his armor. And he's got Professor X around the neck. And he's going to punch him. And Stevie Hunter's like trying to tackle him and stop him or hold him back or whatever. And just want to mention that Colossus' left arm is bent at the elbow. The arm that he's going to punch with is angled up into the top left-hand corner. Where we also have our Muir Island Saga triangle dress. Um... So yeah, just the, the posing is kind of similar between Colossus and Guido from the cover to cover. But this cover is pretty dang good. Um, it's a fantastic Andy Kubert cover. Um, it just looks, it looks really nice. And so, getting into Chapter 2 of the Muir Island Saga, uh, which is... Bad to the bone. Bad. Um, so, possessed by the Shadow King, Colossus tries to murder Stevie Hunter and Professor X, who retreat into the danger room. Professor X is able to free Colossus by helping his true self emerge from the Peter Nicholas persona that he was living following the Siege Perilous. As it turned out, that's the personality where the Shadow King had his hold. When he found Colossus, he was still in that uh, post-Siege Perilous Peter Nicholas artist persona. And so when Professor X was able to help him reassert his Peter Rasputin true Colossus persona, when that took dominance, the personality that the Shadow King was kind of linked into... Um, kind of just went away, I guess, is what we're going with here. So Colossus, you know, slowly all our heroes that went through the Siege Perilous have been kind of getting reset. So this is where Colossus gets reset. Um, so anyway, back home in DC, the Shadow King is looking for a new host and is trying to expand his ambitions. And meanwhile, back on Muir Island... Um, the remaining X-Men, Wolverine, Gambit, and Jubilee, cannot get along, thanks to Shadow King's influence. Luckily, Forge tags Wolvie with a synaptic, a synaptic disruptor to block the Shadow King out. But then they're ambushed by Shadow Rogue, but then Forge shoots her with a big 90s gun. Uh, well, we'll find out really to next next issue what that is. Um... Because we go back to Salem Center, where Xavier, Colossus, and Stevie rescue a young African-American boy from a racist shadow mob, um, more determined than ever to locate X-Factor. He's like, I need my original students um, to fight this madness. Um, yeah, so uh, I really like, I know it's 
it's um, mostly controlled by, well, first of all, the art in this book is really nice. Andy Kubert does a great job um, on the pencils here. And the Shadow King kind of controlling Colossus. Uh, the action's really good. Uh, some just classic Andy Kubert poses, especially with Colossus and even Professor X. Um, you know, as that fight ensues, um, definitely glad to have all of her back on the colors. Uh, just, just a very special colorist, and always glad to have her back. We can get a little glimpse of the first time Professor X met the Shadow King. Kind of a little flashback. The Shadow King saying, "But I'm different now. Now I'm just on the astral plane, mostly. I mean, I'm taking some bodies, but that's not where I'm going to fight you." Um, this is interesting. Um, the way they free Colossus is pretty cool. Um, the Shadow King, of course, is in this uh, Agent Rice, or Reese, in the FBI. That's the body he's in. Um, so the fight, there's a fight between Wolverine and Gambit. Um, I will say, so there's a part where Gambit uh, backhands Jubilee really hard. It's not a good look uh, for him. Um, I will say, you know, obviously all this is influenced by the Shadow King, but you know Gambit's kind of rough with Jubilee Wolverine's kind of rough with with Gambit um, as, as Jubilee runs off um, and they have some, they don't fight yet, but they definitely have some words and, and I know it's, it's the Shadow King influence kind of making them maybe on a shorter lease and angrier than they would be, but it's interesting knowing that that rivalry is kind of building um and so that's a good kind of sequence of pages um, as they kind of start to really grind on each other. Uh, and there's some nice kind of symmetry to some previous stories. Um, there, you know, when Gambit and Wolverine fought in the Danger Room, he got his staff and kind of pinned Wolverine. It was like, bang, you dead. And he doesn't hear the Jubilee again, but Wolverine pops up with a snick and says no. And that's when Jubilee runs off. Um, there's a part where, um, <laughs> let's see, what page is it? I think it's on page, page 17, um, when Gambit's kind of being mean, and, uh, Jubilee says, you gonna let him get away with that? And, uh, Wolverine has some kind of classic Wolverine talk. He's like, Gambit plays the cards he gets, girl. I deal them. I know it. He knows it. <laughs> You know, Jubilee says, chew on that cud, you gumbo geek. And that, unfortunately, is when Gambit kind of beats it around a little bit. Um, yeah, so even with it, it's kind of like, well, is the Shadow King, is it like alcohol? Or are you just letting the inhibition with Gambit out? And I, I kind of hope not, because I hope that, you know, barring him just kind of having focus on being a good guy, he doesn't just beat up little girls, <laughs> that would suck because I really like Gambit um, but yeah, no, uh, definitely a great sequence of pages with the art and the and the story there um, you know, it's cool that, that Forge kind of invents this tool on the fly to block out the Shadow King, uh, that's another pretty cool sequence um, and, you know, he has the little version and the big version as we'll find out um 
Yeah, Professor X, there's the scene where after he rescues the kid from the mob, and they're in the rain, and he kind of is crouching over and huffing in anger. A very classic Andy Kubert uh, design. Um, he's like, I need, I have to find X-Factor. So, um, art in this issue, much better. Both, both, you know, the pencils and the colors, just visually a much better looking book. Um, and the story is still pretty good. Uh, still pretty solid, strong story. Uh, the Shadow King is making his moves. Um, yeah, uh, Wolverine, Jubilee, Gambit had more to do in this issue, so I, I, I like that. Um, I would give Uncanny 279 a pretty solid 5 out of 6 claws. So, now we're going to move on to the X-Factor portion of the story. Um, Muir Island Saga Part 3 is an X-Factor number 69 in Clash Reunion. Um... Written by Fabian Nicieza with lots of help, it says. Uh, whilst Protatio is a penciler. Oh, shoot. I, uh, that lots of help reminded me. Um, in Uncanny 278, even though he was absent from the pencils, uh, maybe it's not this one. Shoot, which one is it? Dang, one of these is like a nod to like. Maybe it's is it this one. No, I guess I'm just making it up. Or maybe maybe I missed it or I'll find it again when I'm going through. I thought there was one of these that was like a special plot assist to Jim Lee. But maybe I'm remembering that from the the last series of stories. I don't know. I sorry guys. Kinda followed that thread for nothing. Um but this is Clash Reunion. Is written by Fabian, like I said, with lots of help. Um, penciled by Wallace Portatio. Task Force X is the Inkers. So an army of Inkers. And that, unfortunately, is going to show. Uh, Michael Heisler does the letters. Dana Morshed does the colors. Um, and our cover is by Portatio. And it's the Shadow King in a physical form. Or no, I'm sorry, in the astral form, attacking Professor X in the astral form as Colossus yells in the background. Um, and I guess that's Val Cooper with a gun? Anyway, the Shadow King has Professor X by the neck and is going to punch him with his left arm bent at the elbow, ready to punch, and... The elbow is moving into the upper left-hand corner where the Muir Island Saga Triangle is. And so what you see is an even more similar cover because, you know, on Uncanny 279, Colossus had Professor X by the neck and was going to punch him. And this time Shadow King has Professor X by the neck and was going to punch him. And I don't know why it didn't occur to me when I was reading these. I guess because I just read them one at a time kind of over a few days. But looking at these three covers back to back to back, it's uncanny how similar like the layout and the action is. Um, so I'll probably definitely tweet those at some point and kind of check out how they look all together. Or, or obviously, you all have the internet. You can Google it if you want. Or go to the Marvel app and, and check them out. But um, yeah, an interesting kind of series of covers there. Um, 
Art wise on this one, kind of just okay. Um, and Colossus looks kind of weird. But other than that, pretty decent cover. So, in this story, Professor X and Val Cooper call X Factor to DC to help take on the Shadow King. Back on Muir Island, Forge frees Rogue and Banshee, who inform him and Wolverine that the Shadow King is using Polaris as a nexus between the physical and astral planes. Um, I'm not sure if it totally makes sense, but I know she had some issues with malice. And anyway, somehow with her, her powers, there's like a way to tap into dark energy now, or like dark emotions. And so Shadow King is kind of amping her up to 11 um, to basically kind of anchor him and tether him between both planes of existence. So Professor X and X-Factor approach Muir Island on a government sub along with Agent Rice, who is currently the Shadow King's host. He got himself placed on assignment on that sub and he's just where he wants to be. So X-Factor come ashore Muir Island where they defeat some Shadow X-Men, but Shadow King attacks Xavier on the sub. But turns out Val Cooper is Mystique, who shoots the King's host. This causes Legion to fold, because uh, Shadow King can no longer control him necessarily, and X-Factor find Polaris on the island. But just as they are about to disconnect her to trap the Shadow King on the astral plane forever, Forge stops them, saying it could kill her. Shadow King then jumps into Legion and blows up the island. Well, that's quite an ending. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, lots of, lots of good kind of action. The story keeps moving uh, right along. Um... Don't really fully understand how Polaris is the, the Nexus, but, you know, I guess we'll just go with it. Um, so it's cool to see Professor X reunite with his original students. Um, you know, it's cool seeing Forge and Rogue and Wolverine and Banshee kind of be the the front of, of free mutants. Uh, we get a cool Snicked in there. Um... That gun that Ford shot Rogue with was kind of a big version of the Synapsis Disruptor. Um, but then he's also able to put it like in a little injection. Uh, so he just kind of shoots the, his X-Men with it. It gets in their, in their system and is able to block the Shadow King um, just right out. So that's pretty cool, I guess. Um, yeah, you know... I'm, I've been digging Protatio on his little run of X-Factor. Um, definitely kind of hurts in this story to have lots of inkers, lots of different inkers. The art gets kind of sloppy in some places for sure. Um, not real familiar with Dana Morshed as a colorist. Not super impressed with this particular issue. The colors can sometimes be a little unclear. Um, so that's unfortunate. So, it's, so kind of again back to this not being a great looking book. And I'm going to have what I think are some reasons for this. Um, 
maybe obvious to you if you're familiar with this period of X-Men comics, but um, kind of expand on that a little bit once we get through the issues. Um, but yeah, but the story's still moving along pretty well. The art didn't really necessarily do it for me in this issue. Um, I'm going to give X-Factor 69 a pretty solid 4 out of 6 claws, mostly for the story. Alright, so that's going to take us moving right along. Um, I'm going a lot faster by myself than I <laughs> thought this story would go um, with two of us. But anyway, uh, Uncanny X-Men 280, um, which is the conclusion of the Shadow King saga. One Step Back, Two Steps Forward. Written by Fabian Nacieza. Inks, I'm sorry, Pencils by Andy Kubert and Stephen Butler. Inks Are Us by the Inkers. <laughs> Again, probably not a good sign. Uh, Joe Rosas back on the colors. Tom Orjakowski does the letters. And this cover, though, is by Mr. Jim Lee. And it's an iconic X-Men cover, I feel like. Um, it's Cyclops holding a battered Professor X in his arms and shooting an optic blast of grief into the sky. Uh, behind him are uh, Wolverine in a torn-up uniform, Rogue, and then Colossus and Jean Grey. It's a really, really cool cover. Definitely the best. You know, it's the one that doesn't fit the pattern. There's no one choke-holding or punching or, or having a left arm bent at the elbow. But um, probably the, the most just dynamic and emotional cover of this story arc. Um, it's, it's really nice. Really, really good. Um, I've always loved this cover, and I still love this cover. Um... Yeah, so what happens in this, the, the quote-unquote conclusion of this story? Um, so Professor X arrives at Muir Island after Shadow Legion blew it up to find his X-Men alive but incapacitated. Uh, turns out Jean was able to protect some of them with a tink shield. Um, the Shadow King also didn't want his mutants to die, so everyone's kind of protected by Legion, but the island is decimated. Um, actually kind of blows the middle of the island out. It was kind of always in a crescent moon type shape. Now it's almost like a pure letter C. Um, so the whole middle of the island is, is just hollow now. Um, so as they all begin to square off, Storm flies in to free the X-Men. Uh, Shadow King releases the mutants and his control to attack the others, but Xavier has a plan. So G his plan is this. Gene will anchor him as he takes the fight to the Shadow King on the astral plane. Some X-Men will stay to protect them. Um, the others will go to try and free Polaris, disrupting the Nexus. As Shadow King cripples Xavier's astral form, his physical legs and his, the physical world break as well. Um, Wolverine is leading the strike force to the Nexus, but is ambushed by Shadow, Gambit, and company. In a really good fight, Wolverine gets the better of Gambit. As Xavier gets his astral ass kicked, the X-Men worry about his physical body breaking. Like, it's really hard for them to watch. 
So Gene takes Storm, Archangel, Colossus, Cyclops, and herself to the astral plane to help. Um, Ford slowly with his little inoculation frees the remaining Shadow X-Men and uses Psylocke's psychic blade on Polaris. This breaks the Shadow King's physical link, stranding him to die on the astral plane as Xavier pulls his students out. Legion, as the main host, appears to go brain-dead, but Polaris is okay. But Xavier is paralyzed again. So, yeah, some big-time changes here uh, for the X-Men. Um... The art's kind of a mixed bag as we go through the story. Um, having multiple pencils, having Stephen Butler kind of do some of the pencils. There's some parts that really look like Andy Kubert, and some parts that don't. The parts that really look like him are really good, and the parts that don't are not as good. I think having an army of inkers definitely is detrimental to the art again, sometimes maybe obscuring... Andy Kubert style and not necessarily a good way. Um, but yeah, so lots of good little action and it's fun to see Storm kind of fly in and Lightning Bolt Legion in the back. Um, you know, Polaris is kind of part of what happens to her when this comes back and she's shrunk down to regular size. Um, I enjoy Wolverine kind of leading the strike force. Um, Xavier's plan is pretty good, right? I've seen a few people to watch my body and everyone else go and kind of break the Shadow King's hold. Uh, the Astral Duel is pretty good. It, Xavier kind of talks about how he's in kind of a weakened mental state. So, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely kind of uneven in the Shadow King's favor as far as he just kind of whoops up on him. Um, I really like the idea that as he gets whooped on the astral plane, his physical body kind of cracks and crunches and, and breaks up. Um, there's a couple of really cool Wolverine poses in here. He and Gambit get to fight again. That's cool. Um, there's, there's a part where he pins Gambit and he says, uh, it's what I do best, but what I do best is win. <laughs> so a, a different, I always like different plays on the, his catchphrase, and uh, so I, I enjoyed that one. Um, yeah, you know, and as Gambit is uh, leading, you know, the bad guys, um, there's a part where uh, Wolverine tricks Jubilee. Um, he's like, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to, you know, I'd rather just join you. I'll, I'll help the Shadow King. And Julie's like, oh, great. I don't have to fight you, really. I really didn't want to, even though he's telling me to. And he goes, I know, darling. That's why I lied. And he kind of punches her out. Poor Jubilee's just kind of getting beat up on by grumpy old men. Um, <laughs> Not a great look, but, you know, I guess it is what it is for, for 1991. Um... There's a part here, sorry, trying to read my handwriting here. Um, so there's a part, yeah, so everyone's kind of talking to each other as they're returning to normal. Um, and Wolverine kind of confronts Jubilee's dark side and talks about how, you know, 
Quiet now, Jubilation. You've seen the dark side of yourself, girl. It's not a pretty sight. I know. Just let it go. And it's a good speech, and I'm glad he's comforting her. And obviously, you know, anytime you get taken over by something, especially an evil something, you're going to feel pretty violated. So I think she definitely needs the comfort. Um, but as far as seeing the dark side of herself, I mean, she was one of the tamer of the Shadow X-Men. I mean her personality really kind of still shown through. She was the one that was most like, I don't really want to do this. I know this isn't right. And maybe that's what Wolverine... I mean, again, I think there's a lot of valid reasons for Wolverine to want to comfort her. But I don't know if we really saw like this really deep, dark-sided Jubilee. I want to read that as maybe she just doesn't really have one. Um, and that that's good, because I really like Jubilee, and I love them together. Um... You know, her and Wolverine. Um, but yeah. So, <clears throat> the art overall, like I said, is pretty messy and kind of really takes away from the flow of the book and the story. Um, but the story is mostly good. The ending, is, the ending is very abrupt. And the stakes really seem to drop pretty quickly. I mean, they almost kind of just disappear from the story as it wraps up. Um, again, I think there's some reasons for all of this. Um, I really struggle because of the art and because of some of the story. I remember liking this a lot, and I like the story overall. I think this part, I'm really torn whether it's 4 out of 6 or whether realistically it's only 3 out of 6 claws. Um, nostalgia wants to give it 4. Jason right now kind of wants to give it three. So I guess, well, you guys can choose. This is three and a half claws out of six. Oscillating. Oscillating? Vacillating? I don't know what word I'm trying to remember. Um, you know what? Looking at it now, a lot of this art's really ugly. I think I'm going to go three out of six claws, wishing I could give it more. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, it's your show. You don't have to wish. Just do it. But, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> Alright, so now we're going to move to the epilogue, which is X-Factor number 70. And this is the first issue. This starts Peter David's epic run on X-Factor as writer. We have a guest penciler of Kirk Jarvanen. Or Jarvanen, maybe? I don't know. A guest inker of Joe Rubenstein. Letter Michael Heisler. And Steve Muccioletto and Glennis Oliver do the colors. Um, our cover is by Mike Magnolia, or Magnola, sorry, who I adore. I feel like he was like, Marvel's like, hey, can we get a cover to X Factor real fast? And he turned this in. It's not his best. I hate saying that because I really, really like him a lot. Um, but this cover really feels like going through the motions. A lot of kind of non-detail. Um, and I know that he can be kind of sketchy and uh, likes to really emote through his pencils more than like he's realistic. And I, that's groovy. I like that. I don't know. Just something about this cover just almost feels kind of... You can almost see the lack of effort. <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say. I don't want to presume what he did or didn't try to do with this cover. I don't know. It just... It wasn't maybe what I hoped for it to be. Um, 
So there's a lot kind of in this story, you know, from Peter David's style as far as dialogue and kind of funny beats. The plot is really just Professor X trying desperately, desperately to psychically reach the mind of Legion. And all around your island, the various X-teams and X-members try to pick up the pieces following their battle with the Shadow King. And the cover says a day of decision. And we don't really find out what these decisions are. We get a lot of questions like, what do we do now? How do we handle this? Um, so yeah, so the, the sequence of Professor X kind of in Legion's mind, he's like in the dark room, there's like this floating phone booth in the distance that gets closer and closer and Professor X dials it but no one answers. Um, and Professor X is in a hospital bed laying next to Legion. So he's paralyzed. His son is comatose and he's just trying to get through and the X-Men kind of all sit around and, and talk about it. Um, you know, Professor X being paralyzed again. Um, Wolverine is in a perfectly ripped uniform with no sleeves. Um, he's smoking in the room. Moira asks him to stop. And he uh, uses his tongue to flip his cigarette slash cigar into his mouth and swallows it. And Jean's like, ouch, sexy. Didn't that hurt? He's like, like nobody's business. And Cyclops is like, well, why'd you do it? And he says, nobody's business. And Jubilee shows up, and they take a walk. And everyone says, oh, well, Wolverine's being really gruff with Cyclops. Uh, I guess there's a rivalry there. Like, duh. Um, so Archangel flies around. What's he going to do? Uh, Colossus calls him. They're, they're trying to do some stuff. Beast kind of has his thing. He finds a, a picture of Professor X where the frame is broken. And there's a glint of sunlight on the eye. And I don't know if they're trying to infer something. But this picture of Professor X really looks like Cable. And so, I don't know. It's kind of a weird kind of parallel. Um, there's also a really funny part where Colossus is trying to clean some stuff up. And Forge and Beast walk by. And Colossus is like, hey! Can't you invent something to help us clean up? And he's like, I got just the thing. And he gives Colossus a broom and a dustpan. And that was genuinely pretty funny. Uh, when I, I first read it, I just <laughs> really cracked up. Um, so then we get another part uh, where Rogue has a heart-to-heart -heart with Mystique. And you know, kind of talk about what they're going to do next there. She says, you let me think you were dead. And Mystique's like, well, after Dallas, you let me think you were dead. And they're like, oh. And then they cry it out and hug it out. Um, Jubilee and Wolverine talk about something that Jubilee's very mad about. And says, no way, we're a team. I won't do it. So it kind of feels like um, Wolverine gave her some bad news. Like maybe he's breaking up the team. We know that's not going to last, though. Because she's going to be a pretty steady character before too long in the Wolverine solo series. But I don't know how much she's going to be in the next X-Men series. So I'll have to keep my eye out for that and check my memory. Um, 
So Polaris is in a really skimpy X-Men uniform slash bathing suit. And Guido is really pervy about it. Um, you know, he asks her to strike a pose as she uses her magnetic powers. And he's really, he's really gross. Um, he's like, put your arms straight up over your head. That's it. Now take a real deep breath while thrusting your hips back. And she's like, well, okay, but what's this supposed to do for me? And he's like, had this big grin, and he's staring right at her ass. And he's like, you? Nothing. Doing wonders for me, though. It's just, it's, it's gross. Um, makes you feel gross. And, of course, it's 91, and this is written by a guy, even Peter David. He's a pretty good guy, but still a guy. So Polaris is like, oh, shucks. Oh, you shouldn't do that, and kind of gives gives him a little tap, but instead of you know giving him what for, uh, we have another kind of astral projection. This Professor X finds a house where nobody, all the lights on, or but nobody's home, and Jean's like, "These are all symbols." No one answers the phone. There's a wall that doesn't have all the bricks. There's the house with the lights on, but no one's home. Legion's trying to tell you he's not there anymore, and. And they ask Professor, are you okay with that? And he's like, yeah, I'm all right. And we kind of play a game of X-Men Telephone um, in a pretty funny sequence where Moira's like, he's all right. And Storm runs out, he's all right. And Colossus finds Gambit smoking in the hall right next to a no-smoking sign, which I thought was funny. And he's like, he's all right. And then Gambit comes out of the shadows with cigarette smoke and says, he's all right, and scares the hell out of Polaris. And Polaris is like, uh, Guido, I don't really want to talk to you because you're gross, but he's all right. And he's like, who's all right? And like, he is. And, and multiple man's like, oh, he is. And he tells himself over and over again, his multiples, he's all right, he's all right, he's all right. And then they all go outside and go, he's all right, he's all right, he's all right, to Rogue. And Rogue says, he's all right. And Jubilee says, who cares? And uh, Wolverine's like, she's having a rough day. And Rogue's like, that's okay, he's all right. And Wolverine's like, who, Charles or Legion? And she's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> There's a really fun sequence. Um, we have a, a part where Legion's in bed and he's drooling. And Professor X says goodbye and waves a hand in front of his face. And he looks all peaceful. And they're just going to let him kind of be in a coma. And he says, looks out the window and sees all the X-Men in a very rough looking pose one of the you know the arts are very up and down in this book this is one of the down poses where he goes what am I going to do with all these X-Men and you would think the day of decision they'll decide but no all that will come later so the art is not terrible there's some good panels there's a lot of ugly too it's kind of up and down um <laughs> as far as the story goes there's some really funny moments uh, the plot itself is kind of thin, kind of feels like filler, um, but there's a lot of really good humor. Um, you know, kind of typical Peter David. Um, I would give this, I don't know, because with the art and everything, kind of the same vote as it was on the last one, kind of in between either three out of six claws or four out of six claws. Um... I think again, because of the art, I'm going to go 3 out of 6, but this one's much closer. 
because there's, you know, because it's Peter David and there's some really funny moments. Um, so that is the Muir Island Saga. Now, all of the X-Books are about to make some pretty drastic changes. Um, you know, some of the classic 90s creative teams are about to go full in effect. And it kind of, I think, cuts a little bit of the legs out of this story. Because it's kind of just resetting the board for all that. I mean, and that, and that. So, right after this, right, I mean, we had X-Men Uncanny 280. Uncanny 281 is where we split in the, the gold and blue teams. Kind of what we think of now as the classic gold and blue teams. A pretty new concept at the time. Um, that's when Protatia will take over Uncanny and have a pretty pretty lengthy run on that. Um, and of course, the big launch of Adjective West X-Men with Jim Lee... Um, you know, we've kind of seen the pieces leading up to that, right? Magneto going back to his somewhat bad guy ways. Uh, Professor X not only coming back, but being uh, re-paralyzed again to kind of get that that classic feel. Um, you know, it's funny. A lot of talk, especially if you listen to Georgie and Dan and I talk about new books, if you're listening to those episodes, that sometimes... You know, current books with the most recent round of X-Men writers have have really traded in nostalgia, which is funny because I think it's nostalgia for this period, which itself, I, I really think, you know, reading it now, also kind of traded on its own version of nostalgia, kind of getting the classic X-Men characters, kind of rebuilding teams full of characters that you know and love and remember and and putting them kind of back in their classic roles with Cyclops as as a leader and kind of not getting along with Wolverine kind of that personality clash coming back um Storm as leader of a different team um Professor X you know like I said crippled again um so just kind of kind of reestablishing some classic X-Men tropes. And then, of course, X-Factor, as Peter Davis starts his run, being a completely different team with a different art style as well. Um, you know, kind of get that X-Factor oddball team. You know, instead of being the original five, doing more classic-type heroes, we get Peter David <laughs> doing his thing. And, and then, of course, you know, mutant, New Mutants having ended and, and X-Force starting up. I mean... We're kicking into high gear, and I kind of feel like this story served more to help kind of clear the runway for all of that than it did really focusing on having a strong end to the story, which is kind of unfortunate, um, because the, the Shadow King kind of thread and subplot, Claremont has been kind of dropping hints and building on that for quite some time. And then it turns out he doesn't even really get to write most of this story. Um, you know, Fabian, with some help, it says. Well, I'm assuming Claremont's definitely some of that help. But, you know, he really kind of comes in and, and writes the story for the most part. And then Peter David comes in and kind of puts a bow on it. 
without putting a bow on it and kind of opening up for where where all the tunes are going to land next um so I think that part's kind of disappointing. You know, I don't, I'm not sure that Claremont really got to completely realize his full vision for what he intended the Shadow King story to do. Um, and I think having our main artist kind of being busy preparing to launch different books, you know, Jim Lee really probably working really hard at, you know, that first several issues of, of regular adjectiveless X-Men uh, you know not having the time to really pencil this story um, and even Andy Kubert who you know does this story you know, I, I, I need to go back and look at what he was actually doing as far as a regular book at this time um, but even as, as a fill-in only had time to the issue that he did by himself looked really really good the issue that he had a loss of assistance on did not look as good. Um, and Protatio, I think, equally, you know, focusing probably on his starting, his run on Uncanny, you know, needed some help, you know, getting getting that this book done for this story. So, I think there's a lot of reasons why the story maybe didn't quite live up to its potential. Um... But nevertheless, that's kind of what we got. And, you know, I, I enjoyed parts of the story a lot. Um, you know, but parts of it maybe didn't hold up to my memory as much. Um, and a lot of that ties, like I said, to the art not being stellar. Um, the story overall is still pretty strong, I think, for the most part. Um, it does kind of have that Oh, crap, we're done. Uh, okay, uh, Professor X, paralyzed. X-Men, go help on the astral plane. Uh, take out this, so the Shadow King is quote-unquote dead now on the astral plane. Um, let's get Polaris back to normal so she can be an X-Factor. Um, let's get Professor X back to where he needs to be. Get everybody kind of reset back to normal, ready to go for new X-Books. And that's a wrap. Um... Definitely kind of had a rush to the finish. And that happens. I mean, I can't really... Don't really fault anybody. Just the way it reads now is... Maybe not as optimally classic and great as I remembered. Um, so that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Mirror Island Saga. I would love to hear your thoughts on this story as we get ready. Um, I will say, it's going to be a while here on the podcast at Ghost Nick before we get to all these big changes. Um, you know, we have quite a bit of other things to circle back to uh, in the Wolverine Solo series, some other guest spots and stuff like that, and of course, coming up real quick, um, Weapon X. You know, so a lot we got to talk about in the flashback arena before we get to the, all these new X-Books, but they're right around the bend, you know, story-wise. So, anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Muir Island Saga. Do you like Shadow King? Um, yeah, I will say, not bad. I think I maybe prefer the one in the Legion TV show. That may be my favorite Shadow King. Um, maybe that's like kind of the tripsy, artsy-fartsy version of it. But, um, yeah. So... There you go. Um, 
So up next, uh, the Excalibur Bros will be back. We're gonna wrap up some loose ends and then hit hard and heavy into the new uh, Hickman era of current X-Men books. Really excited to dive into that with them. Um, the next flashback episode will be episode 350 and will be Weapon X. So very excited about that. Have some things I'm trying to work out. Fingers and claws crossed and I'm able to pull it off. I don't really know. I think I'm probably in a 50-50 chance <laughs> of doing what I want to do right now. Um, either way, I hope it'll be a really good episode and I'm excited to talk about it, but we'll see how much I can I can pull off there. So, as always, um, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnickCast. Facebook shares and Twitter retweets are very, very appreciated. Um, and yeah, I guess that's going to do it. So until next time, everybody, hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. And snacked.